We are continuing Pirkei Avos. We are now doing chapter 1, Mishnah 16. And it begins with Rabban Gamliel Haya Omer. Rabban Gamliel was accustomed to say, and an interesting anomaly right now occurring in this Mishnah is that it does not say the Rabban Gamliel received the tradition from the earlier generations. It simply says the Rabban Gamliel used to say. Whereas earlier, it would say that the person had received the tradition, and then it might go on to say a few different things that they had said, but uh, it would always preface it with the tradition. So the Tosus Yontov quotes commentators, as brought in the bottom of the Art Scroll commentary, that until this period of time, until Rabbi Gamliel, the general consensus to find halacha was unanimous. And so therefore, there was one basically accepted way for everyone, and therefore, it would be appropriate to say that a full tradition was handed over to the next generation because it was without dissent and, you know, different opinions of what to do practically. But by the time Rabbi Gamliel came around, which, to be clear, is Rabbi Gamliel the elder that existed before the destruction of the Second Temple, as opposed to a later Rabbi Gamliel uh, that exists after the destruction. So we're talking about Rabbi Gamliel the elder before the destruction of the Second Temple. And by the time things rolled down to his generation, there were already big arguments between the House of Hillel and the House of Shammai regarding many laws. And therefore, it was not one uniform tradition that was handed down. And so it does not say that he received by tradition. So what did he used to say? Make for yourself a teacher. Now, you might remember that a little bit earlier we had a Mishnah, I think it was Mishnah 6, that also said, make for yourself a teacher. So I get it that it wasn't the same, you know, un, um, you know, unambiguous, right? It wasn't a uniform tradition, but you would think that he still factored into his learning, the I, you know, this knowledge that somebody earlier said, make for yourself a teacher. So we're going to go right now with an opinion that's quoted in the name of the Rav. The Rav is Rabbi Ovardia Bartanura, a very early Italian commentator, one of the premier explainers, commentators to the Mishnah. Rav, Reish Ayin Bez, Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura, as well as Rambam, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, as we know as Maimonides. They both say that earlier, the teacher that is being discussed is more of a mentor kind of a teacher, one that a person learns by example and philosophical truths, etc. Here we're talking about a decider of Jewish law. So I say, make sure that you have a Rav to whom you submit to his authority so that if he says something is prohibited, it's prohibited. If he says something is permitted, it's permitted, notwithstanding your own personal opinion. So I say, is make for yourself a teacher who will decide for you matters of law, but necessarily that means that you're going to accept their decisions. I'll never forget, two men from a community asked me to adjudicate a dispute that they were having because they preferred to have it, you know, decided by a rabbi and not by, uh, you know, local authorities, which was a good idea because for... I just want, I'll, I'll just leave it at, it wasn't the most kosher of situations that they had gotten themselves into. Anyways, 
So I said, I'm only going to do it on condition that whatever that my decision is, you're going to follow. So I made my decision. Of course, they did not follow it. That's what happened. You know, we got to we got to improve as a people. Anyways, so this doesn't happen because somebody imposes their will on you. You have to decide to have a decider of Jewish law to whom you will submit, you know, your opinion. And and you will have to listen to their opinion as opposed to your own. That's the first statement of Rabbi Gamliel. Second is, and become resolved or depart from any doubt. So in other words, you should make sure that you are removing yourself from any questions, any doubtful situations. Now, there are those that read that as make for yourself a decider of Jewish law so that you will be resolved of any doubt and you won't be in limbo. In other words, those two statements are read together. Make yourself a teacher so that you will not have any doubts. And then there are others that read that it's unconnected to the instruction of attaining or appointing a teacher. And basically it's saying that it's a terrible thing to not resolve questions that you have, whether they be halachic or otherwise, because... I figure if I don't know, then what I don't know won't be my responsibility. Right? Like I'd rather not know that this is really not allowed. Let me just not know. And then, you know, I didn't know. That's not an acceptable situation. Right? And so the bottom line is, is that a person definitely experiences a, a greater sense of guilt when they know that they violated something versus and they can tell themselves, well, I'm not sure that I violated something. And the mission is cautioning us against that, saying, you're just fooling yourself. And more than that, choosing to be ignorant is no excuse. You must learn the truth, know the reality, and then abide by it. And if you don't, face the consequences of not abiding by what you know. So that's the second way to read it. And then the Mishnah goes on and says a very strange phrase, the al aser umados, and don't increase to give tithes with umados is by estimations. The word omed in Hebrew with an aleph as opposed to an ayin means to estimate. If it's with an ayin, it means to stand up. If it means to estimate, it's with an aleph. And so the Mishnah is saying, do not give tithing by estimates. And the question is, why not? But even further than that, the Mishnah says, don't increase. It sounds like there's going to be like uh, almost an abundance of estimation when it comes to tithing. So what what is the problem with this? So it so almost sounds like don't overgive, which is not what most fundraisers would like to tell you. And the Rav says that the Mishnah is really speaking about tithing. And basically what it's saying is that you should not overgive or undergive. And most importantly, you should be specifically measuring your tithing so that you're not just estimating and going over, so to speak, or obviously going under. And the reason for that is because 
I'm, I'm going to give a deeper reason a little bit later, but the reason for that is because a person should learn that their responsibilities are their responsibilities and not to kind of take it a little bit more lax as though like, you know, I have leeway, I can give a little more and then maybe I can give a little less, right? And one year I give a little more, one year I give a little less. No, we are responsible to give 10%, do it by the book, give the exact amount and don't start messing around with how you're going to give it. Now, the Rav, who says that it refers to literal, would maybe explain the mission of the way that I said. Parashi actually says that we're really talking about someone who does not have a teacher. And so it's like an allegory that a person living by estimation rather than a person living through knowledge. So just like the beginning of the Mishnah said, hey, look, make sure you appoint for yourself a teacher so that you decide what's correct in law. You have to appoint for yourself a teacher so you decide what's correct in life. Now, we all know that we have these questions. How much time working? How much time family? How much time studying? How much time community? And we all have those questions. And so if we have a trusted person like that we respect, like a teacher to whom we can speak over our dilemmas, it's much more likely that we're going to come to a real, good, clear, path for ourselves. But if we don't do that, then we're just going to sort of be, what do they call it, spitballing, right? You're just going to like, whatever, let me just sort of guess this way. And, you know, I'm feeling a little differently. So now I'll just guess the other way. I'll shift that way. I'll shift the other way. And that's really living life kind of haphazardly rather than by real careful strategic planning and design. And in order for that, planning to happen, a person has to gain clarity. In order for that to happen, they have to have a teacher. So therefore, just doing your tithing by estimates is like, you know, I don't really feel like counting everything. I don't want to count all the bundles, all the bushels, all the different accounts. You know, I think in my mind, it's about this. That's what I'm going to give because why should I go through the hassle? And the truth is really bad mistakes are made like that. And so therefore, a person has to have this process of someone that they trust and that they discuss their questions with. A third very interesting approach comes from Rabbeinu Yoma, who says that many times a person has an issue and they propose a solution, but they don't think very carefully if their proposed solution is the right solution or the only solution. In other words, they don't listen to a counter argument. In other words, they don't necessarily talk it over with their wife. And that's not a good idea. I, again, of course, uh, I, I use that you know a little bit facetiously. Talking over the wife is great, but really, what the mission is recommending is to have a teacher. And in order to come to good decisions, it's really important to know what the flip side is, what the counter argument is. And that's a great, anyways, internal practice for a person to try to always make the best argument for the other side than what they're thinking. But usually, we need help by having other people give us that other side. So therefore, the idea of don't increase to just you know give tithing by estimate, according to Rabbeinu Yonah, is a simple way of saying, listen, you know, I think I know what I'm doing. I think it's about this amount of money, so that's what I'll do. And not taking any advice to say, well, maybe you need to recount. Maybe you forgot that you transferred money there or the other place, et cetera. You know, got to listen to a counter argument. So I think that's a very... Uh, nice uh, explanation as well. 
Now, there are people that say uh, an idea that I mentioned before, that one of the reasons that it would be forbidden to give estimating uh, tithing, right? Like we said, according to, let's say, the Rav, that we mean literally don't give your 10% by guesstimating what amount of money is your 10% is because just like people sometimes will be overly generous, they'll also be overly not generous. And they'll go in the opposite direction because, again, they're just leaving it up to themselves. And a person, as a matter of convenience, doesn't mind giving a little more. And a person, as a matter of their own convenience, wouldn't mind giving a little less also. And that's not appropriate. Let me take any questions or comments at this point, and then I want to go back and do a little, um, a little further explanation. Yes, Joseph. So, can we? Uh, this is a question I always had about how how to calculate this ten percent. Um, if two questions come, it's ten percent of your uh, total income. And what is it including? It's something which is not to your immediate benefit and somebody who's, how far does the family benefit? It's considered giving. I don't know if I make myself clear. But the second part, I don't understand. No, far... but I did, I did formulate it. Uh, if you give to uh, relatives who are part of your family, how far down the line is the family it's considered giving versus okay. support? Okay, very good. Excellent questions. So the basic, you know, formula for calculating on what am I obligated to give 10%? The answer is new income that I treat like income, as opposed to, for example, I earned $50,000 from a business, but I, I put it immediately back into the business and I didn't take any of the 50,000. Right, so I bought a bigger space or you know appliances or whatever in order to build the business. Right, so that would not be income that you've taken. That's mm -hmm. still if you have a big capital gain but you didn't cash it in, it's not considered income, right? Correct. Right, because you know it could also be unfortunately a big capital loss. Still, it's 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 not money that you've taken into let's just call it your personal spending account. I see. But the minute that money goes into your personal spending account, that money needs to be tied if it's new income. As far as taxes go, a person is not obligated to give 10% on taxes. So they earned $100,000. They give, let's just be really wishful and say they give $10,000 in taxes, right? Um, so they only give $9,000 as 10% because the $10,000 mm -hmm. of taxes does not come up. So it's after tax money, okay. most call net, right? That's now there are other, you know, complications that can come up, but that, that's the simplest way to calculate it. As far as where should the charity, the 10% go, the ideal is to, to, to support uh, known charitable things, such as let's say, um, scholars that are poor is a good example. Institutions that are doing good work and need help. Uh, that could be either for education or for, you know, people who have needs, food and otherwise, right? Uh, clothing, etc. cetera. Um, so as opposed to, let's say, I'm, I'm going to get to your question about relatives in a second, but as opposed to, let's say, um, 
um, A to uh, let's call it the Red Cross. Mm. You know, we don't exactly know where that money is going and to whom it's going, etc. You know, that would be maybe, you know, not, not such a good idea. Then on top of that, you have that non-Jews are not um, a primary obligation, although we do give charity to non-Jews as well. It's not the primary. So it could be that a portion of 10% could be used for non-Jews. The question I've been looking into recently uh, happens to be about, haven't gotten full clarity on it, but I do think a small portion could be used for non-Jews as well. Um, and okay, then we have a different rule of thumb when it comes to giving charity, which is, and 10%, which is that really charity starts at home. And those relatives of ours that need financial support really do come first on the pecking order. Then comes the people of my local community. And then comes Jews from, you know, further communities, you know, as as it extends out. Of course, how do you define further is another interesting question in today's global world. Um, but that's that's those are the general rules of thumb. So it makes no difference how related or not related someone really is in terms of could it qualify as 10%. It's really, you know, do you have closer obligations? And if not, then there's nothing wrong with that. Just like any poor person or any person in need, especially a Jewish person, would qualify for, you know, fulfilling uh, that requirement to give 10%. Good. Thank you. All right. Yeah, good. Ethan. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll, I'll share a little on a personal basis. Um, it's something that Lee and I check in on, on a somewhat regular basis, but uh, the rabbi several years ago uh, helped us get into the habit of giving 10%. And um, being precise about it, I think, is actually very helpful and very personally beneficial. It forces you to really think about what are the organizations or who are the people that you you want to give the money, who, who you feel uh, should should receive the charity most importantly. And, and it does change either over time or, or given certain circumstances, as you can imagine, I'm, I'm sure like everyone, uh, we've been focusing a, a bit on what's happening in Israel more than necessarily what's happening in, in the local community. Um, and, and I can see that shifting back over time. Um, I think the other piece about it that that's interesting is if you were doing this, you're also being precise with knowing what your earnings are. And I think that that's a very helpful discipline to be in as well, so that you're also not going to be estimating things in your own personal checkbook because you need to know what the precise amount is that you're going to give. And you're going to know what the precise amount is that's coming into your personal spending account uh, every month or every quarter, how often you're, you're, assessing it but it, it keeps you it keeps you within that discipline that i think is is important um it is interesting to me that given the time frame that you bring up of when rabban gamliel was was around that it's before the fall of the second temple but it's after the fall of the first temple so it's it's an interesting time period where you have we've left the babylonian exile we're, we're coming back, many people, but not all. Uh, in fact, a minority of people are coming back from Babylonia to, to Israel. Um, I guess my question is, is, is Ramban Gamliel in Israel making this commentary? 
Yes, I believe yes. Do you think that that colors his his advice in this regard in in any way, not positively or negatively? But do you think that that has a um, has has a meaningful influence that he's in this kind of time period where, I, if I remember correctly, it's the Sadducees and the the there's yeah some... yeah this is this is very possibly the Hanukkah era or just after. Um, I don't exactly know that, but it's it's a you know ballpark. So I do think, and I think it's an excellent point. First of all, let me acknowledge that one of the hardest things in uh, a marriage um, is finances. Uh, that, by the way, is the number one reason for marital discord and divorce. That's the number one reason. Fidelity is number two, I think. Um, and it is incredibly instructive how how healthy it is, like you said, to have an exact accounting and knowledge of earning uh, for the purpose of charity, but i.e. therefore budgeting. And that's a huge, huge, you know, collaboration um, need in a marriage. And when it's not going well, very often the marriage is not going well. So that's a, a huge point that you're raising. And it again, you know, makes the case for the, the wisdom of the Torah. Even the side benefits are phenomenally, um, you know, useful. And quite frankly, well, that 10% to save the marriage, save 75% of the assets that are spent in divorce, which is the number, has been the number for many, uh, many years, which is just a crazy number. Um, okay, so now um, moving on to your next point about, you know, the time period of Rebbe Gamaliel, I do think it's incredibly instructive because I think what he is dealing with is the fallout of the fact that there seem to be different factions forming in the Jewish people and they're having a difficult time to get to consensus. And he therefore is urging in as clever a way as possible for a person to get good advice, to not be, you know, bagging bandwagon jumpers and just, you know, to just follow along, but really think things through, uh, be very careful about how you come to solutions and don't live your life haphazardly, take your life seriously, which um, is really the way to encourage discourse and debate on difficult issues, which is, as we know, one of the biggest problems we have in our society. Uh, everybody has a side and there is no actually intelligent debate and people are not learning from the counterpoints. They're just against the counterpoints. So, Anyways, that's a, a bigger issue for today. And so therefore, I do think it's extremely relevant and very likely um, a good Hanukkah message. Sorry, and one, one last question. Yeah. Is, mm -hmm. is this the same Rabbi Gamliel that we read about in the Haggadah? This should be, yes. That, yeah, the ones that, that like studied through the night and the... the uh, this should be that very cool. I believe this should be that one. I believe. Not 100% sure, but I think yes. Okay. Okay, um, so I just want to make one final point here, and then and then we'll go to the Torah. And that is, my reasoning that ten percent needs to be exact is actually pretty different than what I've seen here, and I think it's important. I think I think it's a, a really useful um, concept. Part of my understanding of the ten percent is we know that there's a guarantee of wealth when a person gives ten percent. God says, "With this, you can test me." I will pour for you blessing with no end 
basically in response to a person giving 10%. Why is that true? How does that work? Is, is it really that hard to give 10%? Listen, I get it. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy. We have so many expenses, we don't want to add another 10%. After all, that's why Florida is so popular, right? But, but the bottom line is there's another element here, which I'm not going to go into the whole thing, how I learned this from the Torah, but I really think that 10% is a way of saying that God has a share in our income and we are meant to use our income for the God's projects. God's projects typically were the orphan, the widow, the, um, the poor, and the Levites. And really that's what tithings generally cover. And so that's God's dependence, right? Those people are dependent on God. And God is saying, I will be a partner in your business if you are a partner in taking care of my dependents. So you know why your business will be successful and why it'll bring wealth? Because God's a partner in your business. Now, if you don't calculate correctly the 10%, you're not really treating him like a partner. That's not the way business deals are done. Business deals are not done, well, you get sort of this this year and you'll get sort of that next year. That's not a partnership. Partnership is that this is exactly the amount to which the partner or myself are entitled. You have 10% ownership. I have 90% ownership. It has to be 10% and 90%. Now, it's perfectly fine after you've given your 10%, to say, okay, but I want to be a little bit more generous. And now this often happens when I give mice or myself. I calculate the amount, but I want to give a little more. Okay, but I, I first calculate the amount, and then I want to give a little more. So then I could do that. But the idea is you have to calculate it because that's true recognition of the rightful owner of that 10%. And that rightful owner is not you. It's not for you to decide, sort of. It's his 10%. And really, I think that brings tremendous blessing to, to, to a person's profits, to a person's business, etc. Okay? All right. So I'm going to press pause here. And are we good? Questions, comments? We're good? So I'll press. Okay. So we'll stop here and, and do.